0: If there has ever been a culture, if there has ever been a generation that needs to hear a series of messages warning us about the consequences of sin, if there's ever been a time somebody needs to preach about the fallout of sin, it is the culture we live in today. It is the time we live in today, the generation, the um, age that we live in today. I'm sure you've all noticed, as have I, that society has almost done away with the idea of sin, especially the consequences of it, the fallout of sin. The word sin today is considered to be old-fashioned. It is so old-fashioned that to even speak of sin, especially from a scriptural perspective, is unheard of in the world And I am sad to report to you that it is unheard of in many churches today. Instead of calling sin what it is, we come up with other words to make it politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody. So we use words like fault and misdeed, flaw, error, blunder. He made a mistake. He's got a weakness. Here's one I just heard recently. Made me just laugh out loud. LOL, baby. (laughs) A psychological maladjustment. And I've met some of y'all personally, and there's no doubt about it. You need a psychological adjustment. But I'm just saying (laughs) that this is another word for sin. And I know y'all have met me too, so whatever. Here's another one we said. They exercised poor judgment. They stumbled. Now, nothing wrong with any of those words. I've used those words to talk about sin. But I think sometimes we use these words, and I think we're caught up in this whole politically correct culture that we live in, that you can't say anything that doesn't offend somebody, can I just be honest with you? One of the reasons we are so nice to y'all when we, you walk in the foyer is because when we get you in here, we're going to give you the Bible, and it's going to offend you. But we don't want you offended out there. That's why we're so nice to you out there. That's why we're like, good morning. We're so glad you're here. Go in there and get offended. Because <laughs> our pastor is going to lay it out straight up. And it isn't the pastor who's offending, you might take it and make it me and make it personal for me, but it isn't that that offends you, it is the straight up truth of the Bible. That's what offends us. Isn't that right? So when I think about our culture, when I think about the secular domination, the godlessness of our culture, I'm... I'm asking myself, what are the influences that are, that are impacting the way we think, not just outside the church, but in the church? And, and I came across some areas that I think are influencing us, and we might not know it, we might not realize it, but I want us to look at about four of them today. Number one The behavior, I can never say that word. Why did I use that word? So I'm going to just go with behavioral, behavioristic, behavioristic. That's it. I keep trying to put another syllable in there. Behavioristic psychology. Now, that, you know, I don't know anything about that. I can't even say it. But, I discovered that behavioral psychologists, and not all behavioral psychologists are bad. Some of them are good. Some of them are Christians. How many of y'all have ever heard of somebody named Dr. James Dobson? He's a Christian psychologist. But there aren't many Dr. James Dobsons. And most behavioral psychologists are very secular, very godless. Here's what they say to us. Let me just give you some of. some of the ways they talk to us in our culture. They say, man, that would be you, me, is but the sum total of his environment. In other words, unacceptable behavior is more than likely the result of being brought up in a bad neighborhood. I mean, if a person does wrong, this is what the behavioral psychologist is telling us. If a person does wrong, it's not really his or her fault because, you know, human beings who do bad things are really like computers that have been programmed wrong. So no one can really be blamed if they do wrong. How many of y'all know this is permeating our society today? They say things like, you know, when he was a little baby... His mama did awful things like make him clean his room. And when he was a little, little baby, she wouldn't let him push his mush off his high chair and it warped his little psyche. (laughs) And then you got not only the behavioral psychologist, but on top of that, you got the evolutionist. And You go, well, I don't really think I hear much from the evolutionist. You hear from the evolutionist a lot more than you think you do. Because they're not always talking about evolutionists, not always talking about creation. There are many, many principles, ungodly, unscriptural principles that come to us from the evolutionists. Here's what they say they say man came into being by chance, he's a product of an impersonal force. Humans are really an accident of nature. Now this is really important because if man is the product of blind chance, then that means there is no God. And if there is no God, then there is no ultimate standard of right and wrong. So you've got your behavioral, behavioristic psychologist, and you've got your evolutionist, and then you've got your secular humanist. And the secular humanist, are the ones who are working very hard and quite successfully, I might add, to remodel our education system in America and around the world. And they say this. The secular humanists say to us, the idea of sin is really the invention of the church. And they invented it so they can manipulate you and control you with guilt. So you young people really don't need to pay any attention to the church because they just want your money and they just want to manipulate you. And one of the great ways they do it is with this little three-letter word called sin. So don't listen to that. And then on top of that, like icing on a cake, we've got so-called ministers, liberal clergy, liberal theologians, And I want to quote one from Raleigh, North Carolina. Nothing bad about Raleigh. Great churches in Raleigh. It's just a bigger city here in our area. And this is in the News and Observer, and I'm not going to call the minister's name, but this is what he said. He said, bad behavior is the result of an infantile environment. That sounds a lot like this guy, doesn't it? This guy, sounds like this guy, this guy... Sounds like this guy. This guy sounds like this guy. So it means the church is not much different in many cases than the world. But he goes on to say, he says, bad behavior is the result of an infantile environment. It is the result of traumatic experiences. It is the result of psychological complexes. And then he went on to say, after 50 years of preaching, I cannot help feeling That the church harps far too much on sin. You know what I'd like to say about that? I think we don't say enough about it. I think we don't preach enough about it. Because you know what? The person that's going to tell you, the parent that's going to tell the little child, don't play in the road because you're going to get run over by a car, is the parent who loves that child. And when a pastor, preacher, teacher, Bible teacher, small group leader talks about sin and the fallout from it and the consequences of it, that's like a loving parent saying to that child, you can't play in the middle of Highway 70, especially if the pastor's driving to church and he's late. (laughs) I had several couples come in today and say, you about killed me on the way here today. I'm sorry. At least I waved at you so you'd know it was me. So if you end up in the hospital, you go, at least my pastor put me here. (laughs) Now, let me just say that I do agree, and uh, we want to be balanced in our teaching here. I agree that there are factors that shape us. I I agree with that. We talk talk about those. We talk about abuse and child abuse and things that could have happened in your life that affect you and shape you, the way you think and the way you perceive but i got to tell you, as we preach that and as we teach that, I also want to remind us that as a society, ladies and gentlemen, we have got to come back to a day of personal responsibility and personal accountability. We use everything for a reason, a crutch, so we can continue in our wrong behavior. And what we need to understand that our problem is not primarily how we were raised or how we were brought up or what was said to us. Our primary problem is that we were born with a nature, and we were born with a sinful nature. In case you were feeling good about yourself this morning, let me fix that for you. (laughs) You were not born perfect and then you messed up. You were born messed up. You were born needing a Savior. You're born needing forgiveness. You're born needing the mercy of God. As human beings, we do wrong. And I know this, you're not going to hear this everywhere you go to church today because just not many people are talking about it anymore. But let me just say we do wrong. Pharaoh Hardison, I'm not pointing a finger, Pharaoh Hardison does wrong because Pharaoh is wrong. My nature is wrong. We talk about this all the time. First of all, we live in a sin-cursed world, and the flow of this world is not going toward God. It's going toward hell. And then I've got a nature in me that doesn't want to go toward God either. I've got a nature in me that wants to satisfy, guess who? Me, self, Pharaoh. you got that in you. We war against that. Your primary enemy is not Satan. Your primary enemy is inside you. It is your nature. Every one of us have it. We sing it. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to what? Leave. The God I love. One of the greatest hymns ever written. Those are words. Let me read some scriptures. They're not going to come up on the screen, but just jot them down in the notes or we'll send you these notes. You know that all you have to do to get my notes is write an email to info at bridgechurch.cc and say, I want pastor's notes and we'll get them to you. Isaiah 53.6 says, All of us, what? Like sheep have done what? Gone astray. We've strayed away. And then he goes on to say, we have, listen to this sentence, because we a lot of times we have memorized that first sentence, all of we like sheep have gone astray, but then listen to the next sentence. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Hosea eleven seven, He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about his people. For my people are determined to desert me. But we understand that Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians that the things in the Old Testament were recorded as an example for us. So even though he was talking specifically there about the Jews, man, Scott's got some big ears. Even though he was talking about the Jews, See me y'all get that. Y'all are getting that as time passes. Okay. But the Jews that represent, I'm not saying we are, please don't misunderstand me, but there's an example there for us. For my people are determined to desert me. Romans 7 19. Paul, the great man of God, is talking about himself. How many of y'all think Paul's pretty good Christian? Pretty good? Romans 7, 19, I want to do what is good, but my nature doesn't. I don't want to do what is bad, but my nature does. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, Paul said, I end up doing. Let me ask you something. If you think Paul had a struggle, are we going to have a struggle? Oh, man, absolutely. Absolutely. My point is this. The idea of sin and the idea of fallout from sin may be considered in our culture old-fashioned. It may be considered out of date, but it is my responsibility as your pastor and it is this church's responsibility to tell you about sin and its consequences and that the fallout from sin is a reality. I don't want you to stand before God one day and go, didn't tell me. Pastor didn't tell me. Church didn't tell me. They were—they wanted to be so seeker-friendly that they never really told me the truth. They kind of beat around the bush. Have you ever seen one of those ads in um, a real fancy magazine? Uh, maybe you're in a doctor's office and you pick up Cosmopolitan, Cosmopolitan magazine, and you're thumbing through Cosmopolitan magazine. And you see an ad, and you study that ad, and you look at that ad, and when you get ready to turn the page, you go, what were they? Advertising. You ever seen that? I guess that's good marketing. Sometimes I think it's just an effort to be really, really, really cool. But I'm going to tell you something. we got to make the message clear. We've got to make the message plain. It is my role as your senior pastor to lead our staff And to lead our volunteer leaders and to stand in this pulpit and proclaim to you if you go your own way, if you decide what's right and wrong, and you don't listen to what God says about what's right and wrong, there's a payday for that. There are consequences to that. Now it isn't like God goes, Oh, you're gonna sin, are you? Boom. No, man, it's just like not eating right. It's like not exercising. It's like not doing the right things you know to do physically and keeping yourself from doing the wrong things that will hurt you physically. It's the same thing spiritually. So we can't decide. We can't choose. In order for us to know what's good for us and what isn't good for us physically, we read material. We listen to doctors. We watch videos. It's the same thing with your walk with God. You want to know what's good for you spiritually and what's bad for you spiritually? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. So, it is our responsibility to talk to you about sin. It's our responsibility to talk to you about fallout and the reality of it. And it's our responsibility to teach you to treat sin as public enemy number one in your life. My greatest enemy, your greatest enemy, is sin. So I, as your pastor, have to tell it. And your church leaders have to tell it. Because it is important that churches make a correct diagnosis about what the real problem is, what the real threat is, what the greatest threat to mankind is, or we'll certainly never preach to you what is the right cure. If we don't know what the right problem is, we'll never preach what the right cure is. My next sermon series after this one is titled, The Remedy. I don't know what the remedy is if I won't face what the problem is. Isn't that right? And so that's my job. I I love reading what the old preachers say. I love it. Dr. Vance Havner. You ever heard of Vance Havner? Man, he's with Jesus. But man, he was old school and he was brilliant. I love to read his stuff. Matter of fact, there is a website called... Old guys, the old guys, or something like that. And it just tells you what the old preachers said. And I love to go back and read what they say. And one of them said, the thing that's wrong with most churches today is that we're spending too much time sweeping down cobwebs and we need to be be killing some spiders. Isn't that right? Spiders, that's sin. Cobwebs are all the consequences all the fallout. So with all of that in mind, let's look at a time in Israel's history when there was not only the expected anti-God sentiment. And we have that in the world today, don't we? I mean, all you gotta do is turn your TV on, anti-God, anti-God, anti-America, anti-anything to do with Judeo-Christian ethics, anti-God, you know, it's everywhere. But where we don't really expect it is in the church. But I want to tell you, it's creeping in the church. The thought out there, you're so saturated in it, you're marinated in it so much that you're made to think what is wrong is right. And then we bring that kind of thought processes into the church. And before you know it, the church is not a healthy place, but it becomes a toxic place. Let me ask you a question. You want a doctor who's going to say, you got something serious and we need to attack it seriously. Or do you want that doctor to find something serious in you and go, you know what, if I tell them this, it's going to devastate them. If I tell him he's got that tumor, and I've been told that a couple times in my life, that I had a malignant tumor, I don't like to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I wish you'd have come out and said, hey man, it's nothing. We thought it was something, but it's nothing. Sometimes you get that news. But you know what, if I've got something in me, I want a doctor who's going to sit down with me, and I don't want him to be glad I've got it. I've heard preachers preach sermons, act like they're glad people have got issues. But I want a doctor who's going to sit down with me and look me in the eye with compassion and say, hey, man, you got something serious going on in you, and, and we can't avoid it, and we can't act like it's not there. We've got to deal with it. How many of y'all want a doctor like that? So then why don't we want preachers like that? So then why don't we want churches like that? Because you know what? That doctor is talking to you about something that might end your life here, but what we talk to you about in church is of eternal consequence. If you ever want the truth, you want the truth as it relates to your eternal destination. So... God is calling us to speak openly and honestly, lovingly, yes, compassionately, yes, but we've got to tell the truth. Listen, when you're you're bringing the Word of God, you can't bring the Word of God like one of these ads in that fancy magazine where everybody comes to church and goes, that was awesome. I don't know really why it was awesome, but I was comfortable and I came in feeling good about myself. And I left feeling good about myself. And that's the kind of church I want to go to where it's just feel good. I got to tell you something, man. I dread some of my appointments at the doctor's office. And sometimes I walk out of the doctor's office and I don't really feel really good about what I just heard. And, and maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm getting old and I need to just, you know, go out to pasture somewhere. But I'm telling you, we need to come to church sometimes, and we need to leave going, that rocked my world right there. I want to rock your world today. So, so not only in this time we're about to talk about was, um, was Israel... Um, Living in a culture where there was outside of Israel a lot of criticism and hatred toward God, just like we do today. But this moment in time that we're going to talk about, just like today, there was a lot of frustration toward God in the Old Testament church. There was a lot of animosity and rebellion toward God, even from his own people. Now listen to me. In the midst of this hostile environment, both outside and inside the, the people of God, God calls a young man to be his preacher. God calls a young man to be his messenger to that terrible, terrible time. And I talk about him a lot and we read about him a lot. And he's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and passages and books in the Bible, is Jeremiah. Now, if you, think, if you think, if you're here and maybe you've been a pastor or you've been in a church that was tough, you've never been in a church tougher than the church Jeremiah was dealing with. And I'm using the word church. Of course, the church age had not been born at this time, but I'm just tying it in with our day. So God comes to this young preacher, and I want you to listen what he tells this young preacher. Now, I don't know how old Jeremiah was here, but he, he refers to himself as a child, He refers to himself as a youth. We'll read that in just a minute. So I don't really know how old he was. I guess I could have studied some more and find out. But he was very young. He was much like myself. (laughs) He was very young. And I was called into the ministry. I felt God calling me to be a preacher. I didn't know what kind. I didn't know where. I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to do. But I knew I was supposed to be a preacher at age 17. February, the month of February, age 17. And um, I remember, I remember, I uh, didn't really know if he was calling me, and I didn't know very much about the Bible. The only thing I knew was Moses had a coat of many colors. That's all I knew about the Bible. <laughs> and uh, so I got on the back row of the church during a, a time of prayer, and I opened my Bible and I said, "God, I don't know much about the Bible. I know very, very little about the Bible, but I need to read something." As a 17-year-old kid that's going to that's gonna cement the truth in me, I mean, are you really calling me? Because I'm going to tell you something. You do not want to choose the ministry. You want the ministry to choose you. Do you all get that? Okay. Have you ever seen somebody choose the ministry as a career? They always have a problem. You, that, the ministry has to choose you. So I want to make sure I wasn't choosing the ministry. The ministry was choosing me. And I remember my daddy was a preacher, and so I uh, said, so you're a preacher because your daddy's a preacher? I said, no, not really. I'm actually a preacher in spite of the fact that my daddy was a preacher. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure, and I was on the back row, and I opened up Luke chapter 4. I believe it was verse 18. It's Luke chapter 4, and I read the scripture where Jesus said, the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. And I knew that was a, I didn't know then, but I do now, that that was an Old Testament thing from Isaiah. And Jesus was reading it about himself, saying, I'm the Messiah. But God used that to confirm in me that I've been called to be a preacher. And so when I go through this scripture we're about to go through here, and I'm going to go through it quickly. Um. It just reminds me so much of my calling into the ministry. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not a Jeremiah by any stretch of the imagination. There's one thing about me and Jeremiah that's similar. He cried a lot. (laughs) When he would deal with his church, now, not this church, but in my ministry, I've done a lot of crying. And, um, matter of fact, the book of, right after the book of Jeremiah is called what? Do y'all know? Lamentations. He wrote that book. And the word lamentations means cry, lament. So chapter 4, we're in, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4 of Jeremiah. Uh, These scriptures are going to come up. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. I've got to tell you something, man. If you're you're down on your uh, confidence level and you hear that right there from God, that'll boost your confidence a little bit, won't it? Let's go to the next slide. And before you were born, three things. I separated you. These are synonyms. They mean basically the same thing. I separated you. I set you apart. And I consecrated you. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now now Jeremiah's going to say something. A lot of times when God says something awesome, the person he's talking to says something really dumb back to him. That's a lot like me too. <laughs> so Jeremiah's about to talk and he's going to say something really dumb back to God. Then said I, ah, Lord God, you forgot something. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am only a youth. Now, we're going to go to the next side in just a minute. Not yet, but we're going to go to the next slide. So you would think the next verse would be God saying, Yea, unto thee I say, Oh, didn't realize how young you were, slipped right by me. I mean, why would you even say what Jeremiah just said if you didn't think God was going to say that back to you? How many of y'all think God probably already knew how young he was? And that he had a gun, but he didn't have any bullets in it. He wasn't ready to shoot. Reminds me of an old lady stood up in a testimony meeting one time. She kept saying in her testimony, and I'm aiming to do better. And y'all pray for me because I'm aiming to do better. I'm not doing real good right now, but I'm aiming to do better. And finally, the pastor said, hey, woman, just shoot. Go ahead and shoot. You're aiming. Shoot. Quit talking about what you're going to do and do it. And the people said, Now, if that was too deep for some of y'all, I'll come back to that in a minute. We'll go through it again. And before you were born, I separated you. And he tells him, I've ordained you. He goes, I can't do it. I'm a youth. Go to the next slide. But the Lord said to me, that's one of them things I tell you all right there It's in the Bible that we need. Big butts right there. There's a big one. <laughs> I love saying stuff in church you're not supposed to say. In church. <laughs> but the Lord said to me, say not, I am only a youth. How many of you know this would be a good sermon for our kids? I bet you Pastor Josh has preached this. I bet Pastor Andrews preached this. Well they'll listen to this sermon, they'll preach it. <laughs> Say not, I am only a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I shall send you, and whatever I command you, you speak it. Next slide. Be not afraid of them," the King James Version says, don't be afraid of their faces, because sometimes when you're preaching, you get some Say, what? Be not afraid of them, their faces, for I am, glory to God, I am what? To what? From those people who don't want to hear you preach. I am with you to deliver you who said it. How many of you think that's pretty important? Next slide. This all, baby, I love this right here. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I mean, man, you get mad at the Bible-preaching preacher all you want to. You get mad at a preacher who gets on his knees and cries and says, God, don't let me say anything stupid, which would be too late for me today. But anyway, God, help me preach the truth. Help me say what you want to be said You can get mad at that preacher all you want to, but I tell you who you need to be getting mad at is you need to be getting mad at the Lord because a guy who's like that, humble before God and does his preparation, does his due diligence, does his study, and then gets on his knees and bathes that sermon in tears and, and humility, I'm telling you right now, you can get mad at him all you want to, but they're not his words. They're God's words. I've been worried about this sermon. I've been... You know, I want people to like me. I'm just like you all. I want to be liked. But I know I'm probably going to preach some stuff today or if I ever get to it next week, next week, that you're not going to like. He says, don't be afraid. Preach it. Then look at the final, final slide. See, God is still talking to Jeremiah, this young preacher boy. I have this day appointed you to the oversight of the nations. And of the kingdoms, and here, here's what I want you to do. You're, you're my preacher now. You're my preacher. I want you to root some stuff out. I want you to pull some stuff down. I want you to destroy some stuff. I want you to overthrow some stuff. And then I want you to get in there after you've done that, and I want you to build, and I want you to plant. I think it's interesting that he gave him four commands to tear some stuff up and two commands to build some stuff back. So he said there's some stuff in Israel, there's some stuff in my people, there's some stuff in the nation of Israel that needs to be rooted out, it needs to be pulled down, it needs to be destroyed, and it needs to be overthrown. And once you do that and you tell them what I want you to tell them and bring correction to the house, then I want you to build. You'll have a foundation then. And I want you to plant. Amen, amen. That's good stuff right there. So much of Jeremiah's message, God knew, would not be popular with the people. God knew that much of Jeremiah's message would appear to be very pessimistic. And that's another thing in our culture. Be positive, be positive. I'm positive that if you sin, there's going to be fallout. That's what I'm positive about. It's like the preacher who preached... Real hard, harsh sermons all week long, and there was one more night left in the revival. And a guy came up to him and said, "Man, when are you going to preach on love?" He said, "Tonight." He said, "I'm going to preach love, not the world." <laughs> so, wow. Okay, <laughs> wasn't the love I was talking about? But anyway, I know that every sermon is not to bring correction. But if we're a healthy church and we're the church God wants us to be and we are sincere about being the people individually with him that he wants us to be, then we're going to be open to hearing the absolute truth about his word. So God required, and the reason he knew that Jeremiah was going to be rejected and the reason he knew Jeremiah was going to be, um, uh, his message was going to appear pessimistic is because God was going to require listen to this God was going to require of Jeremiah to repeat over and over and over and over to these people what was going to happen to them if they stayed on the course they were on See that's what preachers have to preach that makes them unpopular sometimes is first of all God brings correction to us then he pre- lays it on us to bring a word of correction in the house and then and then uh, he, he says, I want you to say it over and over and over and over till they get it. And that's why he said to Jeremiah all these things. I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. I'm going to touch your mouth. Now, they're go- not going to like you, and they're going to war against you, and they're going to fight against you. He said, but you just understand, I'm with you. You're doing my will. As a matter of fact, one of the main ways you're going to know you're doing my will is everybody's going to be really mad at you. But I'm with you. Thank God for men like Jeremiah. In order for the people of Israel to avoid the fallout from their lifestyles, a clear declaration of truth was required. In this three-part series, we're going to talk about uh, the life of Samson. So next week, we'll talk about Samson. I'm going to talk about him just a little bit right here as we close this message. Uh, We're going to talk about some other Bible personalities. But we're going to look at Samson because he demonstrates to us the tendency to drift from God. How many of you know the thing I've preached the whole 25 years I've been your pastor? You never drift in the right direction. If you're drifting in your walk with God today, you're drifting in the wrong direction. So we're going to look at Samson's drift, and then we're going to look at the devastating fallout from Samson's sin. Because, as I've told you many times, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will leave you a lot longer than you ever thought you would stay, and it will cost you way more than you ever thought you would pay. In the book, and I would recommend you get this book. We don't have it in the bookstore, but um, I would recommend it. It is called Spectacular Sins, and it is written by Dr. John Piper. How many have ever heard of Dr. John Piper? Good, awesome theologian. And he writes about how God uses even and especially his own people in the Bible— to demonstrate the most tragic failures and to reveal to us today the devastating fallout of sin. Now, it all begins with Samson, and we'll just lay this quick groundwork, and then we'll talk about it more next week. It begins in Judges 14, where Samson tells his parents to get him a wife. Now, I don't know about you, but that is the last person I want finding me a wife. Because when I was 17, 18 years old looking for a wife, I was looking for beauty. (laughs) And mom and dad would have been looking for character. Thank God I found both. Amen. I found both in my woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank all eight of you. Now listen. (laughs) So Samson tells his parents to get him a wife. He had eyed this Philistine girl. And if you remember, the Philistines were the bad guys. I mean, if he had married this girl, it was going to be worse than the Hatfields and McCoys if their kids had got married. But he says, she's looking good to me, and I would like for you to get her for me. And Samson's parents, being good Israelites, pushed back just a little bit, but not as strongly as they should have. How many of you know we as parents don't push back as strong as we should? I know it's hard to say men to. Here was their weak response. Honey, is there not a woman among the daughters of your people that you could go and get and must you go and take a wife from the ungodly Philistines? And Samson had made up his self-centered mind. And in Judges 14, 13, here it is, 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 here it is. Here it is. He says in Judges 14, 13, get her for me for she is right in my eyes. That's it. That's it. That is the beginning of the drift. That is the beginning of the drift. It is the beginning of the drift in Samson's life. It is the beginning of the drift in your life when you decide I'm not going to do what's right in God's eyes. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. I'm going to do what's right for me. I'm going to do what feels good to me. Now, the downward spiral started right there for Samson. And right in my own eyes is not a phrase to be taken lightly. Exhibit A, Eve. How many of y'all remember Eve? She listened to the serpent and then saw the um, off-limits tree God had Told him, you can't eat of this tree. You can eat of all the other trees, but you just can't eat of this one tree. And the Bible says this about what Eve thought. In Genesis 3 and 6, it says that she said three things about that tree. Number one, it looks like the fruit would be delicious to me. It was a very pretty tree. It was the light of my eyes to me. And I know the reason God doesn't want me to eat this fruit is because if I eat this fruit, I will be wise like God, and I want to be wise like God. So I'm going to eat it because it's good. I'm going to eat it because it tastes good. I'm going to eat it because it's beautiful and I like it. And I'm going to eat it because God's just trying to deprive me of something great. 2 Samuel, we have a gentleman there named Absalom. And Absalom is David's son. And Absalom shows a similar uh, kind of rebellion and self-reliance as Eve does. And instead of relying on God, he relies on his own wisdom. So he is, he, he is uh, so messed up, Absalom, so messed up, that he has turned against his daddy. His daddy was David. I mean, the David. The David. Goliath killing David. Giant, killing David, was Absalom's daddy. And he turned against his dad, who was the king of Israel. Now, the reason he turned against his dad is because, listen to this now, he sought advice from one of his dad's old advisors, who had also turned on his dad. And that guy's name was Ahithophel. So, if Pastor Jeremy don't know what to name his new baby, right there. Ahithophel, that's great. Now look what he says. Here's what what Samuel said. Here's what uh, um, Absalom says. He says, the advice that I got from Ahithophel, who is away from God because he has turned his back on David. How do we know Ahithophel was away from God? Because David was God's man and Ahithophel had turned away from David. So we know Ahithophel had turned away from God. But Absalom listened to him for advice. You know why Absalom listened to him? The same reason a lot of people go to the churches they go to, because the preacher tells them what they want to hear. And that's why he went to Ahithophel. He knew Ahithophel already didn't like his dad, so he said, Ahithophel, what do you think I ought to do? Because he knew Ahithophel was going to say just what he wanted to hear. And when Ahithophel told him what he thought about the situation, here is what Absalom said. The advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom, or this is what the Bible says about Absalom. The advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and in the eyes of the elders of Israel. God is nowhere mentioned that it was right in his eyes. So he fell into sin. Matter of fact, he died a horrible death. He got his hair hung in a tree and hung himself. That's why I uh, told God to make me bald, because I didn't want to die like that. (laughs) See, right when y'all think I'm going to nail you, I just let you up off the mat, don't I? Okay, so we're done. Let's all stand together. Everybody stand up.